Welcome, Husky hockey fans. This is Travis and Andrew coming to you from the future, or or the present, or we're we're coming to you after we recorded the full podcast. We recorded on Sunday, and of course, uh, Monday morning, as I was editing the podcast, news dropped, and we felt like it was big enough news, and uh, it was the off season, so pushing the podcast out a day, not that big of a deal with the big news. That kind of happened, and especially since uh, we had, you know, around, you know, 10, 15 minutes of goalie talk that would be uh, irrelevant. <laughs> so um, so we decided to kind of jump in here, do a quick little um, update here uh, before we get to the rest of the show, which all of it pretty much still holds true. Uh, but we wanted to uh, kind of get this out right in front. Uh, we got a goalie. Yes. Dominic Bassey. Which is a name familiar to NCHC faithful, uh, backstopped uh, Colorado College. And, you know, uh, the big thing that I took away from this is that with Dominic Bassey, it's he's got three years of eligibility left. So this is, you know, this is the guy we're going to be looking at kind of as a long term as our guy for the foreseeable future. Maybe, you know, Larson will, I would imagine, say that it's going to be a competition between him and Caster, but I don't think, I I mean, I would imagine Dominic would, like, Bassey would come here eyeing that starring role with, you know, with a good chance of getting it. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not as confident that he's definitely going to be the starter coming in. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick another goaltender up from the transfer portal uh we should let maybe let's just fill in about just who he is colorado college last two years i agree that i thought i i understand that he's got three years left of eligibility because his for <clears throat> excuse me his first year was 2020-21 which is sort of the free year of eligibility that the ncaa granted now when i read hatton's write-up he put that he has two years of eligibility left so there's still unknowns about exactly all of the rules, I might be missing something, but from how I understand it, yes, I agree that he's got three years left of eligibility. Uh, his numbers for CC the last two years, now keep in mind, Colorado College has not been good during these two years. Um, 17 games, 318 goals against, 895 save percentage in that first year. Uh, last year, 24 games played, 323 goals against, 888 save percentage. Uh, those numbers aren't dazzling. Um, but again, keep in mind that he didn't have a, a great team in front of him. Uh, and last year, towards the end of the season, I know in 2021, 2020, 2021, I have to always say that it's kind of confusing um, with the years. But uh, there was a stretch there, I think, you know, toward, you know, in the end of the pod and then going into the quote unquote regular portion of the schedule last year. Um, he uh, had a decent run there for CC, uh, and he went into this year, uh, 2021-2022 season, as CC's kind of number one guy, and that sort of tailed off by the second half of the year when he was basically in a platoon role with Matt Vernon for them. And, uh, you know, Vernon, I believe he was the guy that started both of the games for CC at St. Cloud in that late-season series. Um, between the Tigers and the Huskies, so correct. Uh, but again, reading uh, reading Hatton's 
sort of the last 16 games of the season, it was an even split, eight starts apiece for both uh, Vernon and Bassey. So 6'6 guy, uh, so he's a very tall goaltender. Uh, he was a draft pick uh, of the Chicago Blackhawks back in 2019. Um, that was you know the year before he, he went to CC. Um, so, you know, and he was a pretty hyped prospect. He's from Virginia uh, and kind of did his, his uh, high school and prep uh, goaltending in the D.C. area. Um, so not a local Minnesota kid, but um, a guy that, that had a fair amount of uh, hype coming into his college career. And as we said, or as I said, you know, it didn't exactly wow uh, people with his numbers at CC, but I think he's an intriguing prospect. I just would hesitate to say he's going to be a Rennick type where, you know, you're going to expect him to shoulder, you know, an 80% game load right off the bat. I would not be surprised if they bring in another guy from the transfer portal as semi-insurance or maybe even a a, a tandem situation. Or maybe, as you said, it's it's going to be a tandem between Caster uh, and uh, Bassey. I just would not be sh- certain that they're done with the goalie transfer situation. Now, I would say, from the perspective of our original podcast, we mentioned guys like Dylan St. Cyr, Quinnipiac uh, transfer, also had was multi-year starter at Notre Dame. He's a guy that I think is out of the picture now for St. Cloud. Uh, he's a guy that when yep. he trans- wherever he transfers, he's going to get the starting job. He's going to be like a what North Dakota thought Driscoll was this year, what North Dakota is thinking Drew DeRitter is going to be for them next year. He's going to be in that situation, and I think he's going to be able to find a spot that's going to offer him the start definite starting position. So I don't think that the Huskies are going to be in play for someone of that caliber, but I mean, there still are a few dozen goaltenders in the portal. Uh, I would not be shocked if one of these more lesser known and less experienced uh, goaltenders that Santa Claus also brings in one of those guys. You know, you're going to lose Lamaru, who's in the uh, transfer portal. I'm assuming they're going to hold that uh, posh back uh, a year, the USHL prospect that they have. Uh, yeah, Mick Hatton yeah. said that was the plan, that yeah. they want him one more year. Now, now he's been on a bad USHL team. Right. And I can't remember off the top of my head if that's Sioux City or Sioux Falls. It's one of the Sioux's. So I would not be surprised if they're going to bring somebody else in other than Bassey, but, uh, you know, I think he, I think Bassey is a, uh, you know, is a, is worth a shot and is worth a look. And like I said, uh, very tall, uh, lanky goaltender. He's got the size, um, and putting him in a situation with a little bit better defensive, uh, situation for St. Cloud state than there was at Colorado college when he was there. Uh, hopefully that uh, helps helps his confidence uh, and and you know CC was in a position where they're kind of relying on gold on hot goaltending to get their you know for success and tough uh, recipe for a team to rely on. So yeah, I uh, I'm intrigued by the move. I'm not blown away by it, um, but he was Bassi was one of the guys that uh, we mentioned sort of in our original podcast as, as one of the names out there that's available. And, you know, I, I am happy that the Huskies use this route. Um, and uh, we'll see if they're done or not. Uh, 
what 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 do you what's your thoughts on on Bassey? Yeah, I'm I'm not as confident as you that they're gonna go with another run in the transfer portal. Um, I think it's going to be a competition between the two with Bassey getting probably more of the starts, especially starting out. I think if anything has shown with last year is that you, I, we've learned how risky it is to run a goaltender ragged and granted it wasn't any injury that slowed him down, but it was a freak accident that slowed down Rennick um, where he uh, ended up with, you know, coming down with pneumonia and was in the hospital. So, yeah, I mean, then we're forced to put somebody with limited time. And I think Brett is going to kind of learn a lesson from that, saying you can't have a goaltender anymore with 85% of the starts. You're going to have to sprinkle in your second goaltender in more often throughout the season just so they're more comfortable in game situations because Caster definitely wasn't. So I think they're going to give him – you know, they're not going to throw the towel in on Caster. And I think, but it's going to be, you know, Bassey and Caster and, you know, kind of coming in and, you know, for the third, yeah, maybe if they might bring in somebody, but it's not going to be anybody of any consequence, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't be very oh, confident with those two. Posh is uh, Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls. I guess I would not be very very confident with those two as as the uh, as tandem, but uh, I guess uh, we'll see who uh, who wins out in the confidence level game. Uh, and yeah, and that's the that's the big question, you know, where you had is about the how bad was CC? I mean, CC and how bad defensively were they that? You know, his numbers, you know, never really had a chance to be that good. Just like, you know, Posh, even in USHL, um, his record is 7-21-3 in, in, in the USHL. So it, it's, you know, goaltending can save you a couple of games, but obviously it, it can't solve bad defense for you. So it's that that's going to be, we're going to really find out if, you know, he was drafted just on, hype of being a tall somewhat athletic goaltender we've seen him be able to kind of stand up and steal games um but we're just looking for that consistency and um i'm excited about it not blown away by it but you know also with some stability of the possibility of having him also for three years i i think it's it's a risk worth taking um and then when posh comes in then it could be a you know, kind of a duel between those two. But I think I think this is a good step for uh for it. I'm happy with the uh with the commitment and also somebody from NCHC as well. Uh, a little bit more knowledge about the conference and, and and everything. So it's gonna be yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting it's an interesting choice. It's a choice that I like. Uh and we'll we'll see how it works out. But it's yeah, I'm I'm feeling fairly good about the situation. Yeah, I uh, I'm willing to give Bassie a shot. I I I'm intrigued by him. Like I said, I guess I'm just I'm at the point where I'm not even sure if I can rely on Caster for backup work, uh, based on what we saw last year. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's guys out there that um, 
you know, that have one year left. I one guy that I was seeing on the transfer portal that had one year left of eligibility. This would be his second transfer. Is Austin Kane started his career at uh, Western Michigan, went to Providence, didn't get much pro- uh, playing time. Providence got some playing time last year for Western when uh, Bussy was hurt. Again, his numbers are sort of Bassey-esque, uh, not not going to blow you away. But for a stopgap year, because we're thinking about Posh coming in, not in 2022, but in 2023, maybe just for an insurance policy. Because uh, we saw how it was this year when Caster was your emergency guy, uh, both in the Duluth series and in the NCAAs, not good. Um, so I'm not very confident at all. Uh, and if, if the plan is to rely on Caster for any significant percentage of the season, I don't think that bodes very well for the team. So, but maybe that, maybe I'm just basing that off the small sample size of the last month. Uh, that, the that's season. the thing. I think you're just basing that just off that the last game that he played. Now, and the, we, last, we, the uh, Duluth series as well, he was pretty terrible. Uh, and Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. The last, the last three games last when he was thrown in after facing. Yeah, when he was thrown in with, you know, un- under those circumstances after not seeing a lot throughout the season. So that that's where I think Brett Larson kind of learned his lesson, and that's why nobody should freak out or no one should take any slight to, oh, you're starting a backup goalie, you know, for now. It's because these situations can happen, and it really bit St. Cloud when it did. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the cap that Caster would have played better if he would have had more starts throughout the season. I would give more credence to that argument if he didn't play the Duluth series. I mean, that was recent. That was two weeks before the Quinnipiac game. If the Quinnipiac game is the only thing we're going on, then I'd be on your side. But we have the Duluth series as well. Uh, and putting that in, into the equation, these are it's not as small of a sample as just the one game we're talking about. And so, yeah, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, uh, I just, uh, especially with those being the, the, the biggest games of the year, perhaps that makes it more uh, memorable from that standpoint. Now, he played well and he got one of the games against Miami, right? I think he started the second game there, played against the uh, Bemidji, he had a uh, start against Western Michigan, uh, and so yeah, he had a start against Western Michigan. I mean, he did mop up work in three games, so he didn't even do like there was uh, yeah the last six minutes of Western Michigan, um, uh, in the first game of the series. He um one game against North Dakota. He played a little bit over a period or a little bit under. Um, a half a game there, and then uh, against Omaha, and that was another, um, you know, kind of mop up work duty as well. So before the three games, the two Duluth and the Quinnipiac, he only made three starts throughout the season. He just appeared in the other three. I just, you know, and one of them was Wisconsin, who was terrible. Oh, that's right. We'll see. We will see, and uh, yep. uh, I don't know what they're I, they're going to bring a third goalie, and I don't it, maybe they. I mean, was it I in one of the games, Caster or the announcers mentioned that Caster used to be their club goalie, um, so maybe they can maybe they can bring somebody up from the club team to be their third goalie. You're going to have a third goalie somehow, somehow. So yeah, uh, that's true. So I don't know what they're going to do with that, but 
this Bassy, like I said, I think is worth a shot. Um, excited that we're getting we're getting uh, an idea of what next year's team is going to look like, and that's a big yep. big key is is goaltending. It's going to be a big one. Yep. Any other uh, breaking portal news? We'll be here, uh, hopefully before we record a full episode um, instead of uh, the day after. But you know, who knows? Well, that's the beauty of. I'm, yeah, I was going to sure say whenever, radio, whenever but you, this is not. The day that you post this, uh, I'm sure we're going to get uh, action, St. Cloud State related action, right on the heels. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get Crookshank or something yeah. like right. <laughs> along those lines. So. Right. Um, but yeah, so, um, that's our little, uh, addendum that we wanted to put uh, right at the front of the store. Uh, but, uh, let's go ahead and kick off the rest of the show. Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome. To the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one resource for all things end of the season. Put a bow on it. We've got another NCHC school as your uh, champions, and I got to give you credit on this one. Um, I we we both got the semifinals right, Andrew. I was the one who gave uh, Minnesota State the nod. You were the one that gave Denver the nod, and it turns out uh, I I got a. I got to give you all the props for that. So uh, congratulations on the uh, crystal ball that you had. Well, thank you, Travis. I I have to say I I wasn't believing my I didn't have much faith in being being in my prediction being correct. I did not watch the the title game. Really, I was uh, pretty sure that I was pretty sure that Bankato was going to win, and I am trying to limit self inflicted torture. So. This was a Duluth. This was a, Why do you watch sports then? This was a Duluth <laughs> in the title game situation because I didn't watch any of their title games either. So I did watch the uh, like a 15 minute highlight package on YouTube afterwards. So I do have some video. Um, did, hmm. did watch the video on it, but um, you watched the whole thing, right? Yes, I did. What'd you think? Well, it was weird because obviously you had two periods where Minnesota State just dominated and i saw a lot being thrown around about mankato being a trap team and i get it obviously yes they are and do that style but they do still engage and jump into the attack which is why they were one of the highest scoring teams in the nation as well i mean the whole frozen four you had you know what the top four offensive teams in the nation going which is incredibly rare just looking at the the game and Denver just kind of got nothing going and it was still one nothing and you just had I had the feeling that whole time and that Denver will figure it out it's only a matter of time but will they figure it out for a 2 minute stretch will they figure it out for a 20 minute stretch it turned out to be a 2 minute stretch that change the whole complexion of the game. You know, I, I see a lot of disco or uh, yeah, a lot of discourse online about how, you know, Mankato choked it away or not. I, I don't necessarily think that they choked it, but at the same time, it, it's a one shot game. And with a team that is as deep and as good as Denver is, 
Mankato, you just you had to extend the lead, and you just faltered at that, and you let Denver lurk around, lurk around, and you know you you weren't gonna Duluth your way into a win uh, on this one. Uh, so that's that that that's kind of what my takeaway of the championship game was. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, what which is preferable? Last year's St. Cloud title game result was over pretty quickly. Two nothing after the first, and then what? Four nothing ten minutes into the second. I mean, the last half of the game was was kind of just playing out the string. That is sort of the quick death. I mean, if you're a fan of the team that loses, you going quick death, uh, or you're going drag it out third period lead, and then give up five in a period. I know two of those were empty netters, but still. Yeah. What what uh, what sort of death is preferable for you? I. I think it depends. It depends on how. You you had the the slow boa constrictor type death. Um, you know, and I always reference this game when it was Brodzinski Bowl. Um, in the uh in the uh, regionals, uh, that year oh, when okay. it was uh, uh Johnny against Michael, and and that was what four nothing, three nothing. I can't remember four nothing. Yeah, and that was just a bogan like you knew that game was it was just a slow death and that you know at that time I was like we're not going to win we can't do anything. Um the way Mankato lost where you were just had your way with them. I mean they allowed eight shots throughout two periods. And just for everything to collapse like it did that's got to sting a lot more, I would imagine, cuz that was it was within your grasp. It was right there. You know, ours, we never had a shot. So, yeah, it w- like you said, it was over incredibly quick. You know, with, with Mankato having it just kind of end like that, and the way it did, too, with the third goal that was kind of the dagger, when you tried to jump into the play, and you you tried to create something. Was that the one where they kind of they kind of ran into each other? You know, like in the neutral zone? Uh, that was, yeah. Was that yeah, the third goal? Because that was kind of reminiscent yeah. of, was that the first goal for UMass last year? There was something like that where St. Cloud kind of crashed into yeah. each other and, and, and made it. So mm-hmm. that was kind of, I, I was reminded of that play when I saw that highlight. And I think that was the third goal. For him. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was also, I think a jump in that you didn't really need to make because again, you're all of a sudden reeling because you allow, you allow the first goal you you take a penalty right after that, and then it's like okay, momentum's they cash in on that power play. You knew Denver was going to win that game, and sure enough, they did. Um, but I I don't think you know Mankato needed to press as much as they needed to, or they like they just got away from their game. I think uh, a a little bit when after that second goal was scored. I think if they would have kept it even keel, I think they would have had more of a shot, but. They played a little helter skelter. They got burned, and then yeah, the uh, attack on the two empty netters, and that that was all she wrote. Yeah, I uh, not all that sad that I missed it. Uh, I, I did watch a, a fair amount of the uh, semifinal games, and we again we we kind of nailed those prediction wise. Um, anything to comment on about those semifinal games? Well, I uh, my my buddy Pierre asked me about. Uh, you know he'll uh, he'll he'll ask me about betting advice for college hockey, and I was like, just just what are you thinking? And I saw that Denver against Michigan, Denver was a plus one twenty five, 
And I'm like, yeah, take take the money on money line on Denver on that one because I I thought Michigan was overhyped. Um, you know, they were a one trick pony, and uh, they actually gave a bit more of a game than I thought they would. But I think that was more to Denver not playing a hundred percent their potential. Uh, but it but at the same time, Denver still controlled the game, so it was it was kind of bizarre. But you just you just knew the writing was on the wall for that game. Um, yeah, I, I just Mankato against against the Gophers. I mean, that was just a dismantling of Motsko. And uh, you know, you you get Motsko up against the, a tough, grindy type team. You know, I gotta I gotta say, I did enjoy that a little bit more than I thought I would. So <laughs> that's that that's something. Yeah, I was. Uh... I was not rooting for Mankato in one bit, so I, I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. But as we said last podcast, it was a collection of heels. Uh, and yeah, like the only thing that would have made it worse is if North Dakota was in it. That that would have instead of Denver. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. we said Denver is the least hateable of those teams. Mm-hmm. So put in North Dakota there. I think uh, I think you're, you're onto something there. And, and and one thing while we're while we're talking about it, and you know you you saw you know the ratings were out, ratings were horrible, which you know Minnesota State and Minnesota that got bumped to ESPNU anyway, so that didn't have a shot. But I do think ESPN has first off, I thought the whole production was terrible. I didn't really mind the intermission people. Actually, they were at least had some banter and some opinions, uh, even though I didn't really agree with them. But at the same time, it was a little bit more interesting than, you know, last year's, I feel. Uh, but I thought that the sound mixing all weekend was terrible, where the mics were way too close or way too loud to the to the rink. Uh, but then if they fix that, then I have Bucciagrass and Meldos in my ear, and that w- was... I felt way more painful this year than it has been in the past. And maybe that's because ESPN has some good talent for play by play. And I think college hockey fans and really hockey fans in general deserve better. And it's just, it's just disheartening to to hear them or it's just disheartening to have ESPN drudge out those two year after year and just not do any homework. I mean, after, after Michigan loses, all they talked about was, Oh my gosh, all these, all these pros that are going to be signing, they're going to the next level. Just, it was like just waxing poetic about just uh, the amazing team of Michigan and they got defeated. Hey, but Denver's moving on. And then it was essentially the same for for Minnesota State against uh, the Gophers too. It was like, ah, oh, powerhouse franchise in Minnesota's out. Bob, he's been through so much, and it's just, hey, but Minnesota State, they're moving on, so good for them. <laughs> and it was just like, we need. I I just wish for the worldwide leader in sports. I wish they could do better, and they have the resource to do it. They just don't. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not I'm not gonna defend Bucci or especially Melrose anytime soon. Melrose 
Melrose felt like he was watching a different game at times. And and now that ESPN has is back in the NHL game broadcasting, Shell. I mean, at least Bouchergrass. I'm trying to play devil's advocate as far as I'm assuming people like him, and I'm assuming he's got fans, and I'm assuming people are fans of his style. Let's be honest, Kalachaki could use a cheerleader or two or three or four, and he's got a big enough audience base that I'm fine with him being a cheerleader. I'm more fine with him being a cheerleader than him announcing the Frozen Four. Um, That's my thing, yes. And you think, as far as like the Michigan and, and Minnesota sounding sorry that they lost, I mean, from their perspective, they're probably like, you know, we got the NHL now, and it makes sense from a marketing standpoint. How do we market this? You're going to market it from the fact of we've got a handful of players here that you're going to watch that you're going to soon watch in the NHL. And, uh, you know, it's harder to, to market a team like Minnesota State, whose best player is their goalie, uh, a goalie who faces 15 shots a game. It's tough to market that versus veneers and and the Michigan guys who played at the Olympics, and that people are, you know, even casual fans might be vaguely familiar with some of these guys, where it's harder to to, uh, to market, um, so to state. It seems like Denver would be an easier job to market. They got some flashy players themselves. But the name brand of Michigan and Minnesota, I think, goes a long way uh, for, for, for snagging some casual fans' interest. Again, uh, we've been saying this for many, many years now about how the broadcast has left a lot to be desired. When that's on the biggest stage, the the season-ending tournament, you'd like to have at least guys that have seen teams in the season. I mean, I'm really I, I'm I run hot and cold on Starman, um, but one thing you can say about Starman is it's real the the fandom and the interest he has in Kalachaki yeah. is genuine again i think he gets old he runs his shtick runs pretty thin pretty quickly for me but i would much rather have him in the booth uh than uh than Melrose doing it for beer money and, and guys like you know they had that mike Matto motto uh in the studio and they've had him in the last couple of years that guy can't put together a uh, a sentence. Like uh, I, I don't understand why he is part of that that broadcast, and especially when you have even that Richland, which I I don't think he's like an expert. Like, uh, college hockey, he's not the savant that Starman is, but I think he puts in more of a effort. He has a little bit more of an insight than some of these guys that they're hiring. So yeah, and now that uh, you know ESPN Plus. Uh, they announced that uh, they're going to be picking up Hockey East games next year. They've already been doing that for e- ECA. Six-year deal. And that's huge. I mean, I that I was kind of, yeah. I, I was able to watch some Hockey East games this year because Nesson, I think, was was making them freely available on CBS Sports app. Do that, but this will make it that much easier because they were. I mean, for the ECAC, they were they were broadcasting every game. It's like the NCHC. Any game that's at a home site in the ECAC. They were broadcasting those games, and it'll be the same for Hockey East. Um, it'd, be, it'd be great if all the conferences can make can put them into this app, some app. I mean, if it's ESPN Plus or something else, 
to have a one-stop shop of all the teams and all the games available. Um, you're not going to be able to watch all of them because they're going to be on the weekends, but still having the ability to go back and see some highlights and make it easy for fans uh, to, to do that, I think it's a big plus. But at the same time, if, if we, I'm glad that ESPN has, they're expanding the, the coverage and they certainly have a stake in the game and they're interested in college hockey uh, and they're doing cool things with that. It, it'd be really great if they could nail the coverage uh, that they present girls at four. But as you mentioned, with, with uh, you also have to keep in mind, yeah, look at those TV ratings. I mean, they, there was the TV ratings about the regionals. They didn't crack the top 150 uh, in any program uh, that day. Keep that in mind. The 1.30 p.m. airing of NFL Now was higher rated than any of the regional games uh, this year. The When they transferred it over to the, the Mankato Gopher game. They transferred that over because it lined up with opening day baseball. The pregame show for baseball drew double the crowd than the Michigan-Denver did. Just a pregame show, not the actual game. Pre-game. This, I mean, so college hockey is tiny. And this is kind of what it comes back to. This is why home site regionals, I think, are just a, a no-brainer. Uh, they're still sort of trying to think that they can format the tournament based on basketball um, or football in some cases. And it's not even close. I think there was like the uh, women's national title game was four and a half million versus the title game for hockey. is going to be like 200,000. It's not even close. And any of the men's tournament games, double that, whatever the women's game was. It's a, it's a drop in the bucket. And I think that should tell the stakeholders and anyone involved with, uh, with college hockey that you're playing on a completely different level and don't kid yourself that you're even close to, to doing what, what they're doing. So I think um, a, a dose of reality, a, a reality that's been there for almost 20 years now, it'd be nice for them to do something about that. We don't tend to get good things, so who knows if that'll ever happen. But I, I want to try to be more positive. I know I come on here and rant about that kind of stuff <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and it sounds like they're not even, at this moment, it looks like the head brass isn't even thinking about changing the regional format at all. Um, When they had the state of, college hockey address that they had um as, as well they were like well coaches seem to like it so this is a good step forward and we're going to keep it like it is for the foreseeable future i'm like yeah i mean they last year i think it was they announced the next five years i think of regional sites so the, i would assume the current system ain't changing until 2027 at the earliest so uh, I mean, they have been making some moves as far as they've given up the ghost as far as no more NHL sites for regionals. I mean, they used to play regionals at the X. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of the batch of regional sites, the more interesting one was uh, Lindenwood is going to be hosting one. We'll get into them later as they, they announce they're going to one. They play at the uh, St. Louis Blues practice facility which is apparently a very nice facility. It's got like four sheets of ice. The main sheet, I think, seats somewhere in the three to 4,000 range. So at least they're 
being more realistic as far as we're not going to sell out a AHL arena a lot of the time. We're going to go for the Fargo Shields Arena, which is also, what, 5,000 or so seating capacity. And we're mm-hmm. going to go for more, more for that uh, level of stadium rather than trying to, to swing higher than what you're going to, the amount of tickets that you're going to sell. But I think that also sort of, you could factor that in and could, I don't know, uh, like I said, I, it blew in my face. I'd say go back to, to campus sites for the regionals. But at least they're, they are sort of making changes as far as they're not picking completely, uh, you know, venues that are completely out, out of their, their capacity. So maybe in the next go around, um, next few years, they can get back together and, and see, see if a, a change uh, would be even better to go back to campus sites. They'll have more years of camp on campus uh, conference tournaments by that time. And maybe those get me even more and more successful as far as attendance atmosphere wise goes. We saw a pretty good attendance and atmosphere in Mankato and at Mariucci this year for conference title games. So perhaps that moves the needle uh, some uh, we shall see. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, I think it's just a problem that, the higher ups need to realize is an issue. And I don't know if they're just oblivious or they just don't care, but it's, it's definitely one or the other quickly going back over to ESPN plus there was a little bit of talk. And I want to say it was Starman about uh, NHL scouts were wondering why so much power right now is in the West. And his kind of rationale or reasoning that he thought was there's just more exposure here because of the national coverage with the deals of being on CBS sports or on um, big 10 network and along those lines. I wonder if, you know, hockey East also getting on ESPN plus is going to change that maybe a little bit. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that in the first place because it's not like CBS Sports is in a uh, yeah, and, ton of households keep in anyway. Mind, keep in mind which network pays Starman uh, in part, CBS Sports. I I could say, I could think the Big Ten network moves the needle a little. I think that moves the needle a way more than CBS Sports does. Yeah. And I think it's easier. I, I think that ESPN Plus will be a good thing for hockey. I mean, if CBS Sports Network was a standalone, I can pay five bucks a month for it. I think that would be a good idea, but I don't think you can do that. You've got to buy a standard cable package in order to get that channel. It still is an obscure channel, whereas ESPN Plus is a great deal. I've been watching so much NHL this year. I've watched more regular season NHL probably in 10 years, and it's because every it's six ninety nine a month. And I can get any other game except the ones that aren't. There's a couple of games on TNT and NHL Network. I don't get those. But pretty much every ga- every day of the week, I have at least one to seven games that I can watch. And being an out-of-state out of fan of the wild, I can watch all of their games. I mean, I'm, I'm only blacked out of the Coyotes games. Um, that's kind of the big hitch for, like, for someone like you in Minnesota. You'd be blacked out of wild yeah. games. Um, 
and which is definitely a plus that you don't have to watch Coyotes games too. Yeah, I'm not, so I'm I mean that that's sure. that that sounds like a great deal actually. Yeah, exactly. But but that's what you know. It's whoever they play. So if the Wild play the Coyotes, mm-hmm. I, I'm not able to watch that that game. Yeah. But that's only a couple of games a year, and so uh, and I can watch a lot of. I mean, the I watch I probably watch the second most games I watch is probably Vegas. And I watch most of their games, um, a lot of them at least. And, and so I'm able to, to have a, you know, get a good view of a lot of the teams. And it's like I said, it's seven bucks a month. Not, you're not just getting that. You're getting their whole like 30 for 30 catalog. I'm not trying to, yeah. I'm not salesman here for ESPN plus, but if you don't have it and you're a hockey fan, um, I would definitely, and if you swing, uh, seven bucks a month it's a great deal um and it's gonna get even better because like i said you got hockey's coming to, to that uh streaming channel next year so um and i wonder what other conferences would go that way nchc no chance i don't i don't think we built ours from the ground up for better or for worse and usually worse with my interactions with the app uh but i could see ccha doing it i know they've got to deal with flow but flow is expensive Expensive. Very expensive. Especially if you're a fan of one of those colleges teams and you're getting it for the for the whole season, it's like 150, 160 a month. Or not a month. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it's like 150 a year, I think it was. And I will say for compared to compared to NCHC, um I mean I for the ECAC games that were on ESPN Plus, I don't think I watched a game in every like I don't think I watched a game that was a brown home game. Or there was, I mean, I, but I watched like a Dartmouth game. I watched an RPI game. I watched most of a game from each of the rinks and the quality was like across the board, high def quality. The announcers sometimes were hit or miss, but from the video and the, yeah, from the video and definition wise, I think a step or two better than NCHC. If you, I mean, it's tough sometimes the Miami games, I think the, the, yeah. Camera is way too back. It's hard to watch in each end. I think Western's games aren't all that high quality. Um, I think St. Cloud's is good. Denver's is good. North Dakota's is good. Omaha's fine. Uh, sometimes Duluth. I mean, it took them a while to get to HD. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, and then those Eastern, the Western and Miami, I don't think are great. So I would even say that the, I think ESPN has a little bit more resource-wise to across the board sort of guarantee a high quality feed. Uh, and so I would even say that the ESPN plus, uh, at least what they were doing with the ECAC, maybe they'll, I, I would assume it's going to be the same kind of deal when they yeah. do hockey East. But I mean, NCHC TV can point to that as far as we can maybe step up our game as well. So, I mean, there is that as well. And, and NCHC TV was kind of the, the leader of this. They were the first conference mm-hmm. to go ahead and do that. So they are kind of the pioneer of conference uh, exclusive streaming. So I, yeah, as you said, I don't expect them to make the move to ESPN Plus. But yeah, and I don't even know. I was getting back to the Starman thing. Um, I'm not sure if, if that does factor in uh, as far as from a recruiting and where players choose to go. I mean, it, there is, there is that concept of your parents can watch your games on a whim, you know, uh, on a major cable, basic cable package, like big 10 network does, or, uh, something like that. Uh, because of the days of having all, what's the, 
the the gopher fan lament of god it's games used to be at seven o'clock every weekend on msc uh, on msc <laughs> um uh, those days are long gone so those days are gone yeah i don't know so i maybe uh, there might be some validation to that i i think he's he's kind of playing i'm you know cbs sports network cuts him a paycheck so i'm sure that's part of the reason that he was pumping up their tires his argument but uh there might be some validity to that and, and so yeah maybe, maybe having hockey east uh now get that national exposure that way that'll even up the playing field uh, between east and west a little bit more uh, yeah. i mean everything along that is cyclical too i mean yeah. you look in the mid to late 90s you know i would say definitely the power was in the east um then you get to the you know early to mid aughts it was in the west and then you know then it was back in the east when it was the boston college kind of running the show um uh for that time and now it's back in the west. it happens so i don't um and i I I do think that it's just gonna go back to the east you know sometime here in the next few years yeah and i think that i mean the big 10 schools seem to always i mean this is they're kind of using their advantage of we can get the young blue chippers uh, that are going to hang around for maybe a year or two. Um, and they've been doing that for, I mean, well beyond, well past getting back. I mean, pretty much all in the history of college hockey. The, the blue bloods have always gotten those blue chip players. And I think that's kind of what how they market their league. I think that's kind of how Big Ten Network will market their games around them, that you can watch these high-end first-round draft pick talent Watch them. It's like the they're the minor leagues of feeder league into the NHL, uh, and they sort of use that sort of prestige, scoff at that, point to the zero national titles that they've had as a conference. Um, but that's kind of how. Even with half the Frozen Four, right? Yeah, and and the the year that Duluth beat them, uh, that was three out of four uh, Big Ten teams that year. Uh, but yeah, they've had yeah they've made the frozen four, but uh, haven't been able to to pull in the big prize. So it's uh, yeah it's it's interesting. It'll be interesting how all all this shakes out in the future. And I do think that the Big Ten schools are sort of built that way to showcase like they're like a young freshman showcase league, which how especially success in the NCAA tournament is going. Um, that's not a very good success to win a bunch of national titles. It may have been 20 years ago, but yeah. uh, it's, and especially now in this little mini era of we're having, you know, an extra year of eligibility and getting 25 year old players. That's another sort of downside for the success of big 10 schools. And not like I'm, uh, I'm weeping for them. Um, but <laughs> It's just I I like to I like watching high end talent. It's like uh, I knew I know Michigan was sort of everybody's favorite hated team this year. Yeah, not defending uh, what they did to deserve that reputation, but at the same time I did kind of enjoy watching you know those those guys the power and Hughes and Veneers and being able to watch them uh, kind of develop. I thought was I was glad to, to to catch a couple of those games and and that's that's what I. I, I like the fact that there are different, different. The conferences seem to be built; they each have a separate identity, and I do like that 
that part of it. So, so yeah. Did we want to uh, transition to talking about some Huskies? This is a Husky Hockey Podcast, after all. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. How far are we in? Haven't? Um, well, you know, let's let, let's put a bow or cap or whatever it's called on on, on the whole event here uh, with McKay. Uh, Dryden yep. McKay, goalie, wins the Hobie Baker, loses the Richter, and, uh, you know, obviously it caused a lot of, how are you, the uh, best player in college hockey, but not the best goalie in college hockey. Um, it was, you know, I just, first off, w- were you surprised? What was your take on it? Um, and do you think that they made the right call? I was digging into, I wanted to find out exactly what the voting process was. Sometimes, like, I know that baseball does this now. When they announce three finalists, that's actually after the voting has been done. Just take the top three. That's what they're, when they go on, present the award, it's from these top three. But the voting had already been done. So I wanted, Correct. I yeah, wanted that's to That's how it happens. Well, that's how it happens in baseball. In this, from what I could gather, and I'm not exactly sure on this, but it said it's a three-step process. First, you you let the coaches vote for the whole field. This is a couple of months ago. Then that that gets you your first ten names, and then from then then the committee will vote uh, from the top ten. They will winnow that down to the top three, and then those third round of voting from the top three, they will vote for the top player. So it's not like that top 10, we're going to vote for the, and, and the, the Hobie hat trick, just the one, two, three. So they're actually, there's another round of voting after they winnow it down to the top three. It, from what I could gather, I looked on the NCAA website uh, and they, they tried to explain the voting process as clear as possible. And if I'm gathering that correctly, and I might be wrong, let me know if I am, but that's how the voting process goes. Um, if if I were a voter of each of the two things, the Richter and the Hobie, I probably would have voted for this uh, the same way. Uh, frankly, I think I would have voted for McKay for Hobie, and I would have voted for Levi for the Richter. I mentioned that on the podcast a few weeks ago that I thought Levi and I know the award isn't most valuable goaltender; it just says best goaltender. But I just feel like Levi was more important. Uh, uh, to his team's success, and I thought that he had a harder task being in net uh, for Northeastern than McKay did. Of the top three for the Hobie finalists, Brink and Myers being the other two, as I mentioned, I think Brink is the third best player on his own team. Um, I would not vote for him, and Myers, I think, is a good player, but of those three, and and I think the past performance of McKay, uh, putting his entire career in perspective gives him a, an edge as well. And him being a senior, yeah. Right. And, and so we love seniors. Of those top three, I would say that McKay is the best. And that, uh, and so I would have voted for him. And then if you're giving me the top three of the Richter, would have said I would have thought that Levi deserved it this year more than McKay did. So I realized that it's another one of these classic college hockey things. Looks like the sport can't get its, its shit together. Um, but I don't think it's all that outrageous. Uh, how would you, what would you say? Um, 
you know, you, you brought up a point here that I didn't really necessarily think about with the whole body of work. And probably I should have thought about that. And it's, you know, it is two separate voting pool. You know, it, the voters of it don't bleed over to each other right. from what I saw. Yes. So, so, so with that, yeah, you're going to have different biases, what different people are going to, to say uh and and what they're gonna think but what i want to kind of get across here is i'm fine with how everything shaked out and not only that but a lot of college hockey writers and you know predictions also predicted this happening so it's not like it was a huge shock that 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 this was the case um it's something where you know if I was a voter of each of them, it, it, it's tough to me for me to say, yes, they got it wrong. Or it's tough for me to say they got it wrong. Cause I don't know what they got. wrong. I don't think they got either of them wrong. Even though, even though on paper, it doesn't make sense because I think McKay and you alluded to it. McKay won it in the right year. And sometimes that happens where it's just Hobie is, they say it's, it's so tight for Hobie that 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 more so means that there isn't a favorite because right. everything is just kind of lackluster. Correct. So I think this is like perfect year to give it to a goalie. And he won it in the right year. And I will say this about Drew and oh, Drew LeBlanc's win is that was he the best player in college hockey? No. But again, it was that whole body of work and it was the fact that Goudreau didn't have an out of mind year and it was he won it in the right year and at the right time. And I don't think that that was the wrong choice. And well, Goudreau ran away with it the next year anyway, but it's, do you remember who the, who the, who was the third finalist that year? Ooh, I, was it the uh, Quinnipiac goalie? Um, Askel, um, or Hartzell. I think it was Eric Hartzell. Hartzell. I think he was the third finalist. We're getting off track here, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Goudreau ended up winning it the next year. Um, I think he had more points than Pablad did, but um, but yeah, no, I agree that that was that was the correct call there, and I think he was the body of work and the team success as well factored into it. I don't think Boston. Well, College... I mean, his last year broke his leg, right? Right. Out coming yep. back. Yep. I mean, it's that whole he had the, the narrative song and dance, correct? Um. Yeah, I mean, and and technically McKay has a fifth year of eligibility. He could come back. Uh, I'm not expecting that, but I'm also sort of wondering what kind of pro career he's going to have. Uh, he's a little undersized. That's kind of why I, I I did some research on him. He was originally a Holy Cross commit, and the only reason he didn't go there is because they weren't giving him a full scholarship. Holy Cross is the of a pricey school to attend. So they kind of costed him out of Holy Cross. So he ends up at, uh, at Mankato. Uh, like I said, not, not highly recruited out of, uh, you know, out of juniors and, uh, has a you know great four years, um, but went undrafted. Um, so he is a free agent. Um, if he is going to go pro, he can sign with anybody. And, uh, I am just curious as to, as far as, a lot of times, you know, NHL goalies, it's such a crapshoot sometimes, and you really have to pay your dues. It depends on 
what situation you get put into. Um, I remember like Ben Bishop coming out of Maine. He had to spend a five years or so toiling in either AHL or as a backup that didn't play much until he became a starter for Dallas or for uh, Tampa Bay, I should say. Um, and then he was a you know starter for them and Dallas. At, and he's retired now, but uh, it took him a while. I think he was like 27 or so before he got his first full-time shot at the NHL. And it was a significant amount of time after he had been in college. So sometimes it's not something that you can just jump right into right away. I, you know, we saw Fanti uh, sign with Edmonton. I actually think that's like a really good opportunity for him because Edmonton, no goalie at all. Uh, I think the the con- yeah. the contract that I saw, it was a little confusing. It's it seemed like his standard deal didn't start until next year, so it's not like one of those amateur tryout deals. I'm not even sure if he can technically be called up to Edmonton if he's got to play at the AHL this year. Not exactly sure how that works, but. I've been watching some Edmonton games. I watched a game against the Flames a few weeks ago where the Flames scored nine times. Uh, nine, nine times? Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Against uh, two Edmonton goaltenders. Um, so that's a situation where I think, you know, Fanti might not have to wait too long. Maybe not this year, but certainly next year. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a shot and you know, gets, gets uh gets a chance to show if he's got something uh, because they're kind of desperate for goaltenders. And, but then again, you might run into a, a franchise or you're signed to a franchise that's got a long-term, you know, uh, you know, got Vasilevsky in net or something, you know, that's, you know, it's clearly the starter that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, and so it's sometimes the luck of the draw as far as which organization you get hooked up with and, and how that all, yeah. uh, works out so i i'm kind of intrigued whether he, you know i'm assuming he goes pro um where he lands up and and how much success he's gonna have you know there's still that question mark maybe it's unfair but the fact that he he was sort of playing in a conference that wasn't wasn't the top conference and you wonder how challenged he was well could work and so it'd be interesting to see if he can prove that at the next level uh drew was seventh in the nation in scoring when he won the hobie um uh, with 50 points, uh, but I mean, the Ryland Schwartz from Colorado college was the top really in points and he had, and he had 53. So, I mean, right. he was three bad, like, so, uh, Goudreau did have 51, uh, but Goudreau had 51 in 35 games, whereas Drew had 50 and 42, a lot, about half of the shots though, 73 total shots. Well, I mean, it makes sense because Drew famously only scored 13 goals. <laughs> and what so. was it? Was it Hartzell? Is he the third guy? Did you check on that? Oh, I did not check on that. I just looked at the stats. God, this is the most uh, play that Eric Hartzell's gotten on a podcast in, in a long time. But yeah, it's uh, and and correct. Yes, Hartzell and Levi did mention that or did announce that he's returning. Correct. Um, but maybe he's got a chance to. Scoop up back to back, back to back goalies. Yeah, the Hobie, or he maybe can go back to back with a Richter. Um, we shall see. Uh, but yeah, not not terribly surprising. Um, that was sort of like I said, that's kind of how I think I would have voted. And I get the you know, from the optics, like it kind of looks a little weird. I, I get that. Uh, but you know, I think that there's and sometimes maybe it's nice that they both got 
they both got uh, recognized. They both put up some some great numbers. Yeah. So, uh, and that that's where that's like yeah, spread it around a little bit. You don't need two, you hog. There we go. Uh, maybe you can get uh, Jas- Jackson Caster. Maybe you could we could give him uh, <laughs> give him a trophy. We'll give him we'll give him something. Mark Hardigan won WCHA Player of the Year when Leopold won the Hobie. I mean, stuff like that happens. Right. Yeah. I mean, Hardy Hardigan was robbed, but still. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's trans let's transition into Huskies then, since we are a Huskies hockey podcast. So um, yeah, we got a little more clarity on who's returning and who's uh, leaving. And, you know, first off, I saw Fitzgerald already lighting up the ECHL. Uh, oh, so good. there we go. So he scored a shorty, I think was his first uh, first goal there. So great. Already already uh, top line, uh, top line center. Donahue, first pairing D as well and, on and that team. On the, the same Stingers. team. On the same team. Correct. Right? The, as far as the defense goes. I mean, we're pretty much got the whole band back together. I, I mean, obviously, Perbix, um, he signed w- with with the Lightning, but it, Pierre, Trayball, Lutke, Bushy, uh, Zemer, and Meyer, all all going to be on the roster. So um, that's you know, it's you know, if 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 we look at it from that sense, is that. You know, Meyer coming back, he's going to be a third-year captain, and that's uh, going to really anchor that uh, anchor that defense. He was kind of on the fence or looking at other offers or whatnot. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to pretend to know what goes in uh, what goes in a player's mind when he gets to gets to that stage. But it's um, yeah, I'm I'm happy with how the defense looks, and you know, with uh, the arrivals that we've got coming in too. Again, it's going to be, it's going to be very tough to kind of crack that lineup because I would imagine um, uh, Mason and Cooper are both going to be coming in uh, this next year as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's Trable. I thought made some huge steps uh, forward this year. I thought he was really solid. Um, Peart was streaky, but. He's a flashy defenseman. That's going to happen. Lukey, incredibly surprising. So, yeah, I'm actually really excited here for for what this defense is gonna uh, is gonna do for next season. Yeah, and wondering what these new guys, what their role is going to be. And we can tell from Larson uh, uh, that there's no such thing as a guaranteed spot. I mean, we saw that with yep. Jaycox this year, the guy that was wearing a letter, 13 games, I think. This year, yeah, 13 games for, for Jay Cox, and I don't think there was any injury issues with him. Mostly, mostly healthy scratches, and Trey Ball, as you mentioned, he, he got scratched a few times in the year. He was he played 31 games for the Huskies, so, I mean, he, he did get some bench time occasionally throughout the year, but I think I agree that as the year wore on, I thought he definitely improved, uh, and I think yeah. he'll be, he'll, he'll be a, a key of the defense as well, but they were basically going with seven defensemen all of this year. So there's going to be a guy that's going to shuffle through and, and Zemer still, I, I, I liked, I liked him maybe not as much as you did, but I did like what I saw, but he's, it's not guaranteed for him either. He's still got to prove a regular spot. I think it's good to have the competition. I think that makes everybody better. And I do also expect Peart to, to uh, improve as well and, and 
maybe settle into that uh, top defenseman status. Uh, it, it, it'll be nice to see him take that next step up next year. But yeah, Perfect's uh, missing is, is obviously a big key, but that was pretty much expected. Uh, I think he's ready for the next level, um, certainly, at least the AHL. Um, excited to see what sort of career he has, pro career, that, that he's going to forge. So yeah, I uh, I agree that the uh, the defense um, of the uh, you know defense forwards and goaltending, I think the defense might might have the most sort of stability uh, of the groups. Uh, goaltending kind of being the still being the biggest question mark. Uh, this team uh, program has has shown a, a capability of being able to reload from the offensive standpoint, and you know missing you know. Lost, uh, announced that Hentges, as expected, uh, turning pro, signing Wild, then Nolan Walker, who we had mentioned as is a, a possibility to leave. I thought it was mildly surprising, but not terribly surprising. He has been around for four years, signing with uh, Toronto. I don't believe he was drafted. Is that correct? He was. That's just a free agent signing. No, and. It was a free HF, but it wasn't an NHL deal. It was just right. an AHL yeah. deal. So that kind of surprised me, too. It's like, you'd think you'd maybe want to try to up your stock a little bit with the next extra year. But, I mean, if you feel like you might as well jump now and try to do something, you know, I can see that aspect, too. A little bit surprising, but, you know, he disappeared for a lot of the year this year, too. So I'm not going to miss him really next he, year. He did that seemingly uh, throughout his St. Cloud career. Um, he'd go through stretches of being maybe one of their best players. And then for 10 games, he'd be wondering where he is. Uh, and it seemed like every year he did that. I mean, he, to his credit, he did show up against Quinnipiac. So, I mean, and then also, looked, you know, last year, looked, in the, last year, in the uh, tournament as well, I kind of saved some of his best moments for the postseason. So yeah, wish him well, but then yeah, getting uh Meyer back, Mike Miller announced that he's coming back. As I mentioned previously, it's see maybe a, a Fitzgerald type step up from him using his fifth year of eligibility. So excited to see him back. Meyer, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Oh, we also had some uh, some guys uh, enter the transfer portal. We went, you know, kind of hinted at that with the uh, goaltending situation with Lamaru announcing that he's in the transfer portal. Uh, Thomas Rocco in the portal as well. And then Jack Johnston did not see any action this year. Not really much of a surprise there. Like he's been kind of edged out of, of opportunities here. So kind of what the, I think that the transfer portal is kind of used or uh, intended to give guys opportunities if they're stonewalled in a program. And so I wish those guys the best. You know, I can see a guy like Rocco going to, let's say a CCH program and, and getting, top six minutes or something like that. Uh, it's nice to see. Hopefully they don't score against the Huskies, but it'd be nice <laughs> to see them get some regular playing time and, and hope it, it works out best for them. So, and that's obviously the portal is, is always a, you know, it's a constantly changing uh, system for it. Like every day there's guys, uh, a batch of players that enter it uh, and, and also guys announcing that they're that they've uh, found another program um notable chase primo for dame uh mentioned his name weeks ago thing though is we're still getting used to this transfer portal and 
I mean, it's it's challenging, I think, for a team like Saint Cloud. Um, you know, you saw like uh, you know Primo's going to Notre Dame. You know, it's, with all sort of recruiting in general, you're you're a salesman for your university, salesman for the program and the situation that you can offer players. Um, a lot of times, it it will, especially when it comes down to guys that have that have completed their undergrad. Um, sometimes it comes down to what sort of graduate programs can you offer? Is uh, St. Cloud in a great position where they can compete with guys making like a, you can play here one year and then you're done. Uh, I think that's a different dynamic than selling a guy uh, at, with a you know, four-year sort of offer, uh, an opportunity to play for four years rather than just sort of the mercenary on coming in, doing a grad degree, playing here one year. You know, a couple other news and notes. Uh, Bobby Brink signed with the Flyers, um, and uh, Nathan Smith just signed with the Coyotes. So I'm sorry that you're going to be missing out on Nathan Smith and his debut when he plays for the Coyotes. I mean, hey, I could always drive. It's two hours for me. I could go up there. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it's one of those situations right now for the Huskies where, you know, obviously that's our glaring need. There is goaltending. That's what we have to do. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about our scoring depth. I wonder if we're going to have to, you know, Larson's going to have to tap into his roots at Duluth and, you know, start really kind of coaching and playing that way because, you know, some of the high-flying you know, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little bit worried about it here because I, I, somebody, some upperclassman needs to step up. Now I'm excited that Miller is probably going to get an expanded role, um, because I would love to, I would have loved him more on the power play, especially when Walker was going through that dry spell. Um, but you know, I just, I just feel like it's got to be you know, someone like Okabe is going to have to really step up and and take another huge step, um. Because otherwise, you know, we're, you know, that's who we're really relying on is that Cronilla, Okabe, Vietnam line. Because, uh, I mean, Salquist, Molinar, Brand. I mean, the, <laughs> there's there's not a lot of goal scoring uh, potential, I think, that, that that's coming back. Unless, you know, if we've got, you know, Adam Ingram coming in, um, who is just uh, lighting up the USHL right now. Yeah, you know, but, you know, always depending on a new guy coming in that's uh i don't know yeah that that's tough so that's that's my biggest question again it helps that our defense is really solid so it's you know, we'll we'll, we'll kind of see where that takes us um any any kind of final thoughts or any thoughts about the uh, the forwards or final thoughts about how potentially the roster is going to shake out for next year yeah i, I like i liked what you said there and yeah it's uh and we can maybe. I try. Like, I try. Like, I got like Molinar. You know, we saw some flashes of him last year. Um, perhaps he can step up. And I am excited to see Ingram, assuming he's coming in, mentioned borderline first round draft pick available and, or potentially there. And so excited to see if that uh, can pan out some, some uh, offense. Um, here's a, I, I was just scrolling over a couple of days ago doing some research. Here's the number of the day zero. Edie Mietnin has taken. Zero penalties in his college career. Did you know that? Holy cow, in his not, career? 
Zero penalty minutes this year, zero penalty minutes last year. He has not taken a penalty. Oh, wow. That is... So he's like the opposite of, of Cranola, who, you know, he yeah. kind of went into a little kind of bully phase there for a little bit, punching up uh, above his weight a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if it was actually Mietnin and Cronella just got pegged for it because they were like, oh, the fins, whatever. <laughs> Possible. Who there. knows? Just, but, just grab a fin, and it's always Cronella that has to go. But, yeah, I was surprised to see that. Uh, I guess I didn't. Yeah. It's one I, of those things I, you don't realize it because, yeah, you just don't realize what's not happening. You know, a non-event, it's hard to sort of, oh, yeah, I guess I haven't seen him ever take a penalty before. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, 0.00 penalty minutes career. Wow. We do have a few questions. Um, I know we're starting to go a little bit long. Um, is there anything else you wanted to tap into right now? Um, do you want to wait until the next podcast to talk about it? I mean, we got a whole off season. Yeah. I mean, we, we were talking about, there's a, a fair amount of new programs that are, Oh, that's right. We could... Stony, Stony Hill, Stony Brook, Stony, Stony, Stone, Stony Man. The Stone Hills, the Stone Hills Skyhawks. Sky Racers. Uh, no. But Sky I was, uh, we are running late, so, or long, so um, we could certainly. <laughs> Shocker. We could certainly postpone that until, to a future episode, but we'll. We can ramble on, have any games yeah. to, to summarize or to preview. So why don't we table that till the next time? And I guess we can just take some questions and that's, that's what we call here it. At a reasonable hour. There you go. <laughs> yeah, teaser for, for, uh, for, yeah. If you want us to hear us babble on about uh, finding out the existence of Stonehill college and you're familiar, if you're Stonehill. interested in where Lindenwood is and Augustana and, Turn of Robert. Well, we Morris. know Augustana. We know Augustana, but uh, returns of uh, Robert Morris in Alaska Anchorage. And, oh. uh, stay tuned for for the next show. Okay. Well, I mean, we pretty much just let us real quickly. We'll we'll expand on it more for the next show. But so coming back next year, Anchorage, um, and then new programs: Lindenwood and Stonehill. In Easton, Massachusetts, apparently. Um, so they'll join Arizona State, Long Island, and Alaska as independents. So they've got six. Um, and then uh, Augustana and Robert Morris are coming in uh, in 2023. Uh, 2023 so. um, Rand Pecknold also is a 2023 World Junior Championship coach with uh, yep. Fershweiler. As an yep. assistant, no uh, um, Lar- Larson not involved, so he will not be miss- nope. you know not be missing any time this year. Boston University, Boston University fired their coach. He only made it four yes. years, which is that's the only kind of surprise there. Is generally college <laughs> hockey's got pretty good job security for a head coach. You generally get five years, like to get a cycle of your recruits in there. But BU kind of being the sexy program that it is, thought that it had enough. I think the hot rumor there is that David Quinn might go back there. Um, so yep. interesting to see if that if that shakes out. And like I said, um, uh, Mel Pearson doesn't have a contract. And well, yeah, a and, lot of, and they've got some hot water to deal with. I mean, not they really. got a lot. There's a lot of tea there 
uh, I mean, there's uh, overflowing. I think so. the, co- the coaches uh, convention, which is later this month, uh, I'm sure they're going to be talking a lot about the uh, the pulling out uh, of the Western Michigan uh, debacle. But he's got way bigger fish to fry than that uh, because it seemed like yep. the uh, potential scandal uh, touched on COVID stuff and then some abuse uh, allegations. Uh, Google it if you want. Uh, it's uh, and who knows how the extent of what Pearson was in, in all that, but it sounded pretty on, uh, ominous uh, when it first was reported a few months ago. And now that the season is over, and uh, like you said, doesn't have that extension in place, I I mean, you feel I, almost I, like be more, surprised. it's more expected that any, you'd think a guy coming off the, a Frozen Four appearance uh, and able to recruit all these, you know, all these sex, sexy first rounders. Like you'd think that that, that job security would not be an issue, but uh, I would not be shocked if there is some, uh, keep a, keep an eye on that situation. So, all right, we got a handful of questions here, so let's get through them. Um, first, any chance the Huskies get new sweaters next season, new jerseys. I mean, I have no inside information. I, yeah. Um, I like the Would you like would I you kinda, like I, jerseys? I like the the three that we got. I think it's a nice <sighs> I mix. think the black is boring. I think it is a little it, it is a little boring. We um, wear it all the time. I want to see the reds on the road more. I am more of a fan of the red. That's the of the jerseys that I have. I yep. have I have one of the reds. Uh, that's the one that I like the most. But the the white or if the white can, is classic. The white I like. I like the white. Or if we can model our jerseys after the women's jerseys, I would love that because I, I think our we, yeah, women's jerseys are amazing. They don't do they have a black one? I know they have the red road, their main road one. They have like a black no, they don't have. I don't think they have a black. I'm wondering if maybe they can make a black version of, or yeah, soup up the black one a little bit. Maybe add like add some red yeah. to it somewhere. I don't know. They used to have that with. Like 10, 12 years ago, like they would have the red, the red with the St. Cloud State kind of script, but then they would have black, like shoulder pads almost. I yep. thought that was a decent kind of color sh- scheme to it. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't think they're terrible, um, either one of them. Uh, change is always decent. And, and they haven't gone, they've gone, this is about 10 years now that they've had this set of three. I think they well. I think they changed the numbers, like the font. Yeah, the they numbers. they made very few like minor changes. Which I'm not. I I like but, the old the old font of the numbers. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the and even like the font and the lettering of the names uh, the, on the back of the jerseys. They 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 changed that maybe five years ago, but yeah, not not a ton of movement on that. So maybe I don't know. Touch up the blacks or add something new. Maybe like or add add like one of those women's jerseys to the mix. Like do something with that logo. That oh, I'd love it. Yeah. It seemed like Minnesota State never came out of the locker room in the third period. Very little possession, no defense. Um Yeah, and a little bit no, but I I do agree that that Denver just you know, once they found their game, Mankato did nothing to stop it. And they just kind of panicked, and that's that's where everything fell apart. Because even in the first like three or so minutes, 
Mankato was still putting up the pressure there in the third. And then they came down, scored, took the penalty, scored on the... And then after that, it was like, you're not going to come back now. Because, so... Um, now, uh, Dan Jacobson, friend of the show. Um, does Minnesota State make the Frozen Four again next year? Or was this their window? Or do they take a step back? Again, we're we're unsure about where St. Cloud's going to be next year. I have less uh, <laughs> less uh, knowledge about who uh, Mankato's coming back, bringing back, bringing in. I mean, they're they're clearly the class of the CCHA. Even if they step back a two steps or so, they're still better than Michigan Tech's. Like the only team that has a legitimate chance to to win that conference, I think. Um, so I think that positioning themselves in that conference, I think it's reasonable to expect they're going to make the tournament. I don't, I'm not, I couldn't say pros four or not. Crap shoot. Who knows what kind of team they're going to bring back. But I would, I would go ahead and say that I'd expect Mankato to make the tournament. Next. How about you? Yeah. Tournament. Yes. I think they take a step back because I think, well, you have to also remember not only this, but I believe they were were they number one when COVID hit? Uh, I believe North Dakota was number one pairwise. CHN would have it up. Uh, they they take the pairwise historically. I think North Dakota's one. I know Cornell was was up there as well. They were either two or three, and I I, I think Mankato would have been. I think they were in the one seed uh, band in that. I, I might be wrong, but. Uh, but they were, yeah, they were right up there. Um, yeah. So I think this is their window because they've had three years. I mean, really, when you think about it. But, um, okay, yeah, they were number two behind okay. North Dakota. So, yeah, uh, North Dakota, Minnesota State, Cornell, Duluth. Um, and well, then St. Well, Cloud. We can, I think we can agree on this. The best thing about COVID was that it, <laughs> uh, it prevented another Duluth title. I, I think that team, I think that oh. 2020 team for Duluth was the best. I thought that was a best better team than the two years prior to that when they won the whole thing. So I think it's, I think COVID saved us saved us right. a three peat. Even though I think they were number two overall in in 2019, but uh, I still think they were a better team in 2020. Mm-hmm. So and that was Prunovich's uh, Hobie. Maybe, maybe a friend of the show, Dan Jacobson, can let us know if he uh, if he thinks uh, twenty twenty would have been the what that would have been the three peat, right? That would have been the three peat. Yeah. So, was that the best of the three years? So, so he'll he'll yeah. definitely chime in. Let us let know. us know. Let us know. And then Saint Cloud just a just a hair right behind them. So, kind of. Um. So yeah, that's why the only reason why I think I don't think they make the Frozen Four again just because they've had their they've had a really good run and I I just feel like a lot of their you know they're one of those older teams that you know who knows how well they'll be able to reload. Uh, you brought up an interesting point about that the conference that they set themselves up in and whatnot. Do you wish they were back in a conference with Saint Cloud State or like if realignment happens again? Would you, would you, would you loop? And we were thinking about doing something like that in a future episode, sort of predicting. We got all off season. Predicting some realignment. I do think there is going to be another wave of realignment. I think the next wave of realignment is probably going to be more impactful in the East than it will in the West. 
but I still think there'll, there'll be some shuffling. I was, for a while, I was kind of hesitant about bringing Mankato into the NCHC. Um, all, all on ESPN+. Plus. How about How about we do that? I, I'd be for that. Uh, I'm warming up to getting uh, Mankato in the conference because I think it would at least, I've, I've always been bearish on them. And I think that, yeah, the CCHA doesn't do them favors from the perspective of giving them a lot of respect. Uh, and so giving them the NCHC, I mean, I, I, where do you think they would have placed this year in the NCHC if, if they had the same team? Uh, I don't think they're number one. I, think I, I do. I there would be number oh, yeah. one in the NCHC. I will take the other yeah. on that all day. Well, obviously you would because there's no way to take the over. Well, I I would thought they were going to be like third or fourth. I, I think there's, there's a couple of teams that I would have put ahead, really? ahead of them. Yeah. Nah, I don't, I don't think that. I, I, I guess I don't, I mean, I, I don't feel, I mean, even judging by... You know how I mean, St. Well Cloud, Cloud split them there in a series. St. Cloud was middle of the pack team. Yeah, I mean, that, it's a what, small the sample size. Second weekend of the year, they all count <laughs> the same, right? They then, they do all count the same, but that's where I mean they they've they've lost what once since January. I mean it was in the title game, but I don't know. Yeah, so I I don't know. I, yeah, we're having this argument right now about how good we think Mankato is. If they're in the same league, then we'll know. That's kind of why I want them to be in the conference. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't, uh, I expect there to be, and like I said, for the you know, uh, realignment kind of stuff, I'm wondering if that's going to be a, a move, to like maybe the NCHC goes to 10 teams. It'd be interesting how it all shakes out. And like I said, uh, listen to a future episode when we kind of go into that more, more in depth. Yeah. Um, how far, uh, how far away do you think we are from a natty? Aaron yeah, asked that again. Tough to tough to know. I mean, tough to know without the the the, the roster coming in next year. I, I think this is a team where I mean, right now, the NCAA tournament is not a ridiculous uh thing to you know consider with this team. It's not like you're Miami or CC. Whereas if we're coming in next year, yep. like, we'd be very surprised that they even make the tournament. Once you get into the tournament, you got a shot. So mm-hmm. this program is not, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is a tournament team next year. Um, and that's really all you need uh, to have a shot. I, I, I don't expect this team to be a number one seed next year as it's currently constructed. But if you make some, some decent moves and, and, Make some, fill some holes. Uh, I certainly think a, a tournament berth there for the taking. But I think this is the time where we really figure out or we really find out what Brett Larson is as a coach and a recruiter. I think yeah. that this is, I mean, these next few years are going to be incredibly telling. And, you know, obviously I've been a big fan of them so far. Uh, but you know that you know he's got nothing really to to hang his I don't know hang his hat on. He's got nothing to fall back on, or you know point blame, or you know prop himself up. This is a hundred percent all him from here on out. Yeah, I mean the guys that that lap Herbert, the early guys, Herbix, Walker, Hentges, those were all Motsko guys. 
correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, so we're now getting into the. There's still some some odds, kind of like Micah Miller, the seniors. I think yeah. for next year, uh, will still be guys that Motsko at least recruited. Wouldn't have coached these guys at St. Cloud, but recruited. So we're getting to the stage now. I'm talking like about McCon or O'Connell for BU not getting a full uh, recruiting cycle. We're getting to the stage now where now the grand majority of guys on the roster are are players that uh, Larson and his staff brought in. So this is where you get to the the stage of of really being able to judge his tenure. It's hard to it's hard to make that judgment after the first year, but especially you know the, the number yeah. one number one overall year. But all those guys are Matsko guys. Uh, Matsko recruits and able to coach the team to the number one overall seed. We know what happened after that, but now it's to the point where you got the distance and got data on his uh, recruiting successes and failures. And now the the curveball for everybody across the board is the transfer portal and how that, yeah. how that shakes out long-term. Like I said, there's this possibility of this being advantage it in advantage for you know it it could just be like this is another advantage for kind of the traditional big schools big big brand type of schools but i can also see that there's teams that are in unique situations um that could use this to their advantage as well so we'll need several years of of this of a track record to develop before we really can adequately assess uh, his strengths as a coach, but yeah, so I, I agree. We're we're heading into an era here of being able to really know what we've got from a coaching standpoint. Yeah. And I'm still I'm still optimistic. I still like what I've seen so far, not only from Larson, but you know, with Chayak, who I who I, who I was reading is kind of the main guy that brought this Ingram. Uh, it landed that commit, so he's got some connections as well that has been able to produce some recruits uh, uh, coming in. So it's not just Larson, it's the entire coaching staff, yeah. Oliver as well. So uh, we'll be able to to judge how, how they're able to field the team the next few years. You know, I originally thought that too about the transfer portal, and maybe it's because I have been a little bit blindsided by the fact that how the um, portal has affected the NCHC was very much a you know the Bowling Green guys go up to to North Dakota and Denver to to really or northern you know from northern Michigan you know to really dominate and really you know have a huge impact that way where it is going to be oh the traditional powers are going to to really scoop these guys up but I'm seeing a little bit more of the opposite um uh, Sydney Wolf's got a great um a a great spreadsheet of you know all the commits and where the lands and she does it all just by perusing everything how she does it i have no clue uh but you know i'm actually seeing a lot more of the the smaller schools getting some of these you know um landing some of these so it's 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 gonna be interesting to see kind of where everything everything does shake up uh, in regard to the transfer portal and see um what how it how it is really being used and you know i want i I wonder how much behind the scenes if it was 
if it was a Lamaru decision or if it was a Rocco decision or if it was kind of coach just kind of saying, hey, I'm sorry, there's just not room for you. It's best if you go somewhere else. No hard feelings type thing. I don't know. I don't. And I think looking at Denver, um, that might be a model for certain teams. Not every team, but I, I think that this Cameron Wright was a key member of, of yes. that team. And especially a team that was sort of a youngish team. That kind of was the knock on them last year, being an under 500 team. It was a young team. They had all this great talent, Savoy, Apley, and didn't seem to have the experience factor. Being able to fill in uh, experienced guys, give you a little bit more grit, and have have several years of experience under their belt already, I think that was I think a, a genius move. In retrospect, it looks genius because the, you know parlayed that into a national title. So not you're not depending on these guys. It's not like Wright is you're, you're bringing him in to be the guy. You're bringing him in there to be up like as I think the term you would use you use at the beginning of the year a finisher finisher type and that doesn't mean like he's the the guy that everybody leans on but he kind of rounds out the roster gives you that that extra weapon uh, that supplements it doesn't you're not dependent on them but it supplements it to a degree that he come came up with some huge goals down the stretch for him so very much so using yep. that as a model of and I, I would assume, like, I know the Gophers, they brought in that Crookshank. Uh, I think Michigan had a, a an older transfer or two. But especially if a team is, like, a younger team, um, as we're seeing in the last half decade to half decade plus in the NCAA tournament, what really wins out is you got to grind it out a little bit. You got to have a defensive um, edge to you. Um, and you got to have a little bit of experience as well. It's, you know, the, the, the first Duluth title, the 2018 title, where it was a freshman-heavy team, that's the exception to the rule. Then more yeah. so these Minnesota State-esque teams uh, that have been able to get the job done. That's why Mavericks over the Gophers really wasn't all that shocking um, because they were able to use that stuff to their advantage. So uh, that seems to be a, a good approach that's early in the early in the usage of the portal, how Denver was able to do that this year, just picking a, a guy here or there, a key guy, uh, to add to the, an already great roster, I think is a, a good approach. We'll see how yep. see how that, or and see how every other team, and there's other, not everybody's Denver. So every yeah. school has different, going to have a different approach. Uh, there's not going to be one one definite way to maneuver that kind of stuff but we'll, we'll see how that develops and just from larson's perspective we just don't have much data on that at all because it's been spalacy and that's it so i hope that we can that uh, that he can evolve and utilize that a little bit more because we didn't get much uh, production out of that this year. but i don't think spalacy came in all right expecting that we were going to get but it was if he said, came in expecting a will hammer type or you know, so, face-off kind of is. It didn't really materialize yeah. from perspective. As you said, our preview podcast, uh, getting that sort of, you thought that this team needed needed a finishing, a finisher type. And I think that you, the results kind of bore out that you were correct in that. So, uh, and yeah, and that, that was coming off of a roster that didn't look like it had too many holes. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, you never know how it's going to play out in the season. Uh, nice to have contingency plans. You know, as far as additions and departures, uh, you know, any type of preview list for, for next year, going to hold off on that. Um, and then uh, lastly, Clint asks, you know, if, if we know of the non-conference opponents, and um, I believe it's about the same run-of-the-mill people we did this last year. Um, you know, the COVID that was, you know, kind of shut down when we still had that arrangement with Northeastern and BU or BC, I don't think that any word of that starting back up or finishing that, because I think we still have a trip out there to do. I would assume that because um, that, that was a four-year contract, of, and they yeah. had done three of those. So, I mean, in order yep. to do that again, they'd probably have to draw up a new agreement, multi-season agreement to do that. I gotcha. I mean, I, I did see, like, Mick Hatton was kind of saying, it's going to be a lot of the same non-conference, which once, I would say maybe if we do another podcast in May, we might know the schedule by then. Uh, so it's, it's hard to speculate not knowing exactly what the conference schedule is. But from my perspective, I would I would like to get to, to get an Eastern team in the mix. I get wanting to play some rivalry games and it makes your travel easier. This year, you know, or yeah, this year you didn't leave the state of Minnesota for non conference. Yep. And if it's gonna be the same teams next year, your longest trip would be Wisconsin. So I mean I get that if you want to minimize travel. But as we've seen the last Two, well, I mean, the last four trips, I guess you, you can't really count. Do you count Air Force as an Eastern team, even though they play in an Eastern league? They are from the West. But AIC, Boston College, Boston University, Quinnipiac, you're seeing these teams in the uh, UMass. You've seen these teams in the NCAA tournament the last few years, and they're all Eastern teams. Play a little bit different style. Um, I like to have some team from the East to play on your non-conference schedule. I think that would be a smart thing to do. So yeah. I would prefer to have some variance and throw an Eastern team in there. But once we see that schedule, like I said, it's probably going to come out in the next month. Then we can speculate. Uh, we can complain about a lack of there Eastern team. There is Not to put you on the spot, but you seem to know the rotations better than I do changed it up uh over the last few years and i don't i think okay. this last year was covid screwed all up and then the pod uh that so yeah, i don't i don't know because this year it was not it's not like they started this rotation based on the pre-covid rotation this year they, they only played what miami and omaha that was previously mm-hmm. not part of the that was not what their rotation was before you'd have two teams each season but it was kind of predictable. Okay. So I don't know. They've kind of started over on a rotation, so I couldn't even guess. All that, all that I would know is that you're playing Duluth twice, two series, you're, and you're going to play Miami two series, and you're going to play Omaha two series because them once last year, and then Duluth is your your designated conference rival. But you're going to play them series every year. So other than that, you're... Oh, oh no, it was... Uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, Miami and Denver was your one series only this year. Denver did not make a trip to, oh, to, that's right. to St. Cloud. Yeah. So scratch what I just said about Omaha. It's Miami's going to be two series, and uh, Denver's going to have two series. So you're definitely going to see two series of Denver next year. Definitely going to see two series of Miami, and definitely two series of Duluth. Uh, of the others, I don't know. 
be guessing at that point. Right. But that's all I can. And uh, last two bits of uh, Husky Hockey news. Um, you know, that was the last season uh, for uh, the Clawman. Uh, so we're going to oh, be yeah. having a new in, 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 uh, in rink wooer, yeah. I guess. So, um, you know, hell of a career. Uh, so congratulations to him um, on that and hope he's doing well. And the uh, St. Cloud State announced also that they've uh, really or they've raised uh, some fundraising uh, or they've raised some money to fix up the scoreboard and uh, fix upgrade the sound quality and the sound system, which I am incredibly excited for because. Wow, was it terrible. <laughs> and, and has been for, for a long time. For a long time. Hopefully the, the next fund of, of uh, next round of fundraising will, will go towards shrinking the rink. That's my, that's my uh, hill to die on. Get rid yeah. of that. Get rid of the fat ice. Get rid I of do. hashtag fat ice. The more that Olympic ice is going by the wayside, the more it's going to affect you from a recruiting standpoint, I think. So uh, I think all of that's overblown, but it, it might be. Maybe, maybe we can, we can, we'll debate that. I think more comfortable seats, I think would be a, a better, a better usage. Like, cause those seats are terrible. Like so. the, the student section seats, the red ones. Uh, those. Yeah. I mean the, the, the black yeah. seats, those box seats or whatever. And like middle sections, like center ice mm-hmm. sections. Those are fine. I, I sat in those, but those, oh yeah, those red more of, ones, those, those, yeah, are those, yeah, get rid of those red ones and put the black ones everywhere. That's what I would say. I'd but. say that I'd say get standardized before you change the seats, but both. <sighs> How about just get a new arena? Can we have like How a about, billionaire? Yeah, there we go. Billionaire build with a, a rink. That'd be great. Can yeah, that'd be just just blow it up, start it all over again. Be Richard uh, so. Dean Richard Dean Anderson use some of his. Uh, You'd be a famous alum. Yeah. Isn't it like a Wells Fargo president or something? I think he's a St. Cloud State alum. Maybe he's got Yeah, the, the the guy who did all the wire fraud. <laughs> was he? I thought it was um, uh, Stump, I think was his name. He like involved in a scandal? I, I must have missed that one. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. And then I don't, I don't know if it was wire fraud. What, what was, I can't remember what it was. What it could have been, yeah. Not like a Tom Petter's uh, American Greed situation. Maybe scratch that possibility off the list. <laughs> but yeah, so it'd be nice to have some St. Cloud State sugar daddy. Yep. And get in yep. There. John's Trump education, really? uh, BS at St. Cloud State, and uh, MBA at University of Minnesota. So he probably actually learned all that stuff at Minnesota. We we tried to set him on the courses of righteousness. But he, he was embroiled in a scandal. He's doing like five to yes. ten years somewhere. I don't know about five to ten years, but well, you yeah, know, fake accounts. Harvard, the you know, I'm sure Harvard has their fair amount of white collar criminals that they've produced. So you know, being the Harvard of the Midwest, you've got to produce a couple of white collar criminals too. You just got to keep up with the Jones. It's like the transfer portal. Uh, Every, one person's going to do it. One school's going to do it. Everybody. All right. Well, just so we don't get sued or anything along those lines for spreading out fake information. No, he has not been charged. Okay. Well, then you can just delete he, all that. 
Well, I mean, delete the like the, the he, he was guy. still involved, and it, I, it wasn't wire fraud, and you know, it was it was definitely uh, creating fake accounts that. Um, I'll that, have to look into that. I, that. that. That's news to me. When when was that? When was stepped down? The account fraud. Um, I don't know when he stepped down. I'll have to dig into it. Um. Uh, well, then, uh, yeah, that about does her. That about so, does her. Um, so thank you everybody for uh for listening for the for the for the length of time here that we're at. And I just want to say uh you know heck of a season. Can't wait to do it again. We'll have some uh spattering of shows throughout the off season as well. Um whenever news kind of pops up, we'll probably have maybe, one. Um maybe think like once sometime a month throughout the week. Once a month or so. Probably in in Yeah, summertime. somewhere. Something like Somewhere that. like that. We'll we'll come up with uh, new conferences, new realignments. Come up with fun names. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to contact us, um. You know, I'm at more clappers on Twitter. Uh. You can always send an email uh to Andrew. Andrew, what's that email again? Is Huskies Hockey Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Perfect. And uh, yeah, feel free also uh to comment. Uh, on, on uh, give us a review, yeah. whatnot, five stars, please only. Uh, anything less than that, I'll just delete it. I think that's what Amazon does, right? Just, no. just, just, just get rid of it. Pretend like it didn't happen. But, um, until next time, thanks everybody. Go Huskies! Woo! Woo!